Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning, and I just want to say thank you so much to Michael and Angelia. Let's give them just a hand for leading us this morning. Oh, worship, it was so good. I'm so grateful for this couple and for their ministry and leading and worship, and uh, so thank you guys so much. You know, I was thinking as I was sitting there and as I was singing that last song and uh, getting caught up in the worship and just uh, I was thinking about what a privilege it is to be a dad. And uh, I was thinking about one of the greatest moments in my life was the day I became a dad. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, I was in the, um, in the delivery room with uh, Emma's mom, and uh, Emma was born, and we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. We decided to uh, roll the dice and just play a little bit on the crazy wild side and not know. We didn't have one of those reveal parties or anything. We are just like, the reveal party's going to be the day she's born or... Uh, it, it's born is what we were saying. And, uh, and so I remember when, uh, when Emma came and, and I remember yelling, it's, it's, it's an Emma. I didn't even say it's a girl. I said, it's an Emma. And, uh, cause we had picked out names for boys and girls and, and, uh, a boy or a girl. And I remember the nurse and the nurse, uh, Emma was crying and, um, and she took Emma over to the warming, uh, little warming thing. And, uh, and she says, dad, if you'll just come over here, she knows your voice. She knows your voice. If you'll just talk to her, she'll stop crying. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, right. And so I walk over there, and I'm like, Emma, it's so good to meet you. I'm your dad. And, and we had this moment, and she stopped crying. Like, she just immediately stopped crying. And I'm reminded of that's what the Heavenly Father does. That if we know his voice, Right? And when he speaks to us, when our Heavenly Father speaks to us, all of our fears, all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of our craziness just stops. And he stills our voice. And he stills our lives. And so a few years later, I got remarried and, and I got three boys and, uh, and that was one of my other best days, to not just be a dad to Emma, but to be a dad to Joey and Clayton and to Jackson. And what a joy and what a privilege it is to be a dad. And then I was thinking about all the men in my life. And obviously my dad, uh, when I was 17, uh, left this earth. But I had some other men in my life that stepped in and stepped up. And I'm so grateful I'm so grateful for the men in my life and for the men that have been there and have modeled for me what it looks like to be uh, a father, what it looks like to be a husband, and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, I just want to pray a blessing over our dads. And I want to say thank you to the dads in this room who are doing their best to uh, be a good dad, uh, who are doing their best to model what it looks like to be a husband and a dad and a follower of Jesus. And so can I just pray for you dads right now? Father God, I thank you so much for the role of dad. And Lord, there are so many great men in this room who have chosen to model what it looks like to be a good husband. Father, we haven't always been good husbands, Lord. We've fallen short. We're not perfect, but Lord, we've done our best to model what it looks like to be a good husband. God, we've also modeled what it looks like to be a good dad, to be there for our kids, to be constant in their lives, to be loving, 
to be gracious, to be merciful, but God also to help them to understand that there's consequences and help our children to understand that and what it looks like to live a life as a responsible person. So Father, I just want to say thank you for the men in this room. Whether they hold the title of dad or not, they have modeled for so many people what a good dad looks like. Lord, I thank you for the fathers in our lives, for the dads that aren't here, Lord, that who are no longer with us. And Lord, today can be a bittersweet day because we remember those moments, maybe those moments where we went fishing or those moments where we went on vacation or those moments where we worked on the car together or those moments where our dad gave us those uh, words of confidence or words of wisdom. Father, we miss those moments and we thank you for our dads. But Father, most of all, we thank you that we have a heavenly father. A heavenly father that speaks to us and loves us and cares about us and knows us by name. A heavenly father that stills our voice and our crying in the midst of the chaos. God, thank you for being our heavenly father and for watching over us and for leading us and giving us purpose and giving us hope and giving us life to the fullest. So Lord, I ask your blessings upon each man in this room, whether we're a dad or not, that we might live our lives in such a way and continue to live our lives in such a way that we model for people around us what it looks like to be a good man, but not just a good man, to be a man who loves and follows and chases after you. Father, would you continue to empower us and equip us to live that life? Thank you for the role of dad. In your name we pray, amen. Well, dads, we wanna honor you uh, this morning and we're gonna do that in a fun way. So every dad, uh, when you leave today, um, you're going to get a sweet treat. You're going to get a bottle of dad's root beer. And uh, so, uh, so we just wanted to say thanks for being a great dad. And so we're giving you a little sweet treat, but it's caffeine free. So you're not going to get any caffeine boost out of it, but you're going to get a good little bottle of root beer. And so thanks for being a dad. Make sure you pick one up on your way out today. And, uh, and so today we're continuing, actually we're wrapping up our conversation that we've been having called Winning the War in Our Minds. And, uh, and so let's just real quick, what do we know? What do we know about winning the war in our minds? We know that most, and we've said this every week, that most of life's battles are won or lost in our minds. And we know that it's almost impossible to have a positive life when you have a negative mind. That it's almost pos- impossible to have a positive life when you're constantly allowing negative thoughts to take over in your mind or your thought life. And I wonder how many of you can relate to irrational thoughts that, uh, and runaway fears that often consume your mind. Like I wonder how many of us live that kind of life where we are constantly being bombarded by these irrational thoughts or these negative thoughts or these runaway fears that seem to be constantly taking over our thought life. And how many of y'all worry about something that seems so normal? Like, do we have any worry warts in the crowd? Uh, I know uh, I'm a worry wart, and I'm sure that many of you are as well. Uh, Maybe it's something like this. Maybe uh, you might relate to this scenario where you're a student. 
And maybe you're a student and you're worried about making a bad grade on a test because you know this. You know that if you make a bad grade on a test, uh, then you're worried that you won't get into the right college. And if you don't get into the right college, then you won't have the right job. And if you don't have the right job, then you're not going to marry the right person. If you don't marry the right person or if you marry the wrong person, then you'll have the wrong kids, right? And if you have the wrong kids, uh, they're going to need braces because they're the wrong kids. And because they're going to need braces, well, that's going to be really expensive. And then you can't afford to send them to college and you can't afford to send them to college because, well, you're still paying off your college, and so your kids won't have the education, and they're going to resort to a life of crime, and then you're going to go to prison, which is going to give you a headache, and then speaking of headaches, you've got a headache because you might have a brain tumor. You think you might have a brain tumor, and your mind is racing in the wrong direction all the time, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, my thought life is about to explode. Now, obviously, that's exaggerating a little, right? Like, but, but it's true. It's, it, it's true in a lot of ways because, uh, because maybe your scenario isn't that extreme and maybe you're not like, man, if I get a bad grade, bad grade is going to lead to this, going to lead to a bad job, it's going to lead to a bad wife, it's going to lead to a bad ki- marriage and bad kids and all that. But maybe, maybe it's a little unreal, but maybe what you watch on the news or maybe what you hear uh, and what you hear happens to the life of someone you love. Or, or maybe you're fighting for a good marriage or you're wondering, is it ever going to work? Uh, and you've got more bills, right, than you know how to pay, and you're worried about paying them, and you're, you're trying to make some kind of decision about the future. And it's so easy, right? It's so easy for your mind to spin out of control, and it's so easy for us to be overwhelmed with very real feelings of anxiety and fear. It's so easy for that to happen. And that's why today I want to start today's message with a word from God, from God's word. And and we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let me invite you to open them up. Or if you have the Bible app, let me invite you to uh, open that up to Philippians. uh, And we're going to look at chapter 4 together. And, And Paul says these powerful words to us. And he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is guiding him as he writes these words. But they're such important words for you and for me. And so Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 6 together and go through verse 9. And here's what Paul says. Now remember, prison. He's writing these words from prison. And he says these words. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now how many of you all could say that if you were wrongly accused of a crime that you didn't commit and you're put in prison and you're facing potential execution for that same crime that you didn't commit and you write a letter and the best advice that you can give is do not be anxious about anything. Like that's probably not what I'm going to lead in with my letter. But that's what Paul writes. He writes to the church and he says to the church at Philippi, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, everybody say every. Every. So that means what? Every situation, right? It means all situations. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul says, listen, don't be anxious, don't be worried about anything, but in every situation, in every situation that you face, he says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, don't worry, but pray. Like when you feel like you're starting to worry, go to God in prayer. 
And then he says this, and this is what's going to happen. This is the result. This is the promise of not being anxious. This is the promise of spending time in prayer with God. He says, and the peace, everybody say peace. That's a big word. You should say it a little louder. You don't have to be quiet when you say the word peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Yeah, and he says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, there's going to be this peace and you may not understand it. You may not get it. You may not understand the situation that you're in. You may, you know, the situation may be out of control and you're like, but I prayed about it. Like, because the word of God said, don't be anxious, don't worry. But in everything, I'm going to pray. And he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So it's this peace that you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It's like that moment when I'm in the delivery room, Emma's crying, the nurse says, hey, if you'll just come over and talk to her, she'll be quiet. And I'm like, whatever. And I talk to her. And as soon as I start, talk, start talking to her, there is peace. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about is like, if you will get in the habit of having conversation with the God, the Father, in those moments when you're worried and anxious and feeling like world, the world is spinning out of control, if you'll just talk to him, there'll be this peace that will pass all of understanding. And it says, and it will guard your hearts and what? And your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, which we read a few weeks ago. He says, and finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Don't worry. Don't think about the negative. Don't think about worst case scenarios. Don't think about the ugly parts of life. He says, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and here's the promise, the God of what? Peace will be with you. Would you pray, Father God, we just ask that you would do just that, that you would take whatever is heavy on our minds and on our hearts, and that you would, and we would bring it before you that we would cast our cares upon you this morning, God, because you care about us. You care for us. And God, we seek you and we ask that you would renew our minds this morning with your truth. God, that we cast all of our burdens on you, that we're believing, Lord, that you care for us. So God, would you give us peace of heart? Would you give us peace of mind, even beyond what the world would understand? We pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. So this morning, I want us to talk about worry. I want us to talk about anxiety and being anxious, and, and let's talk about how that affects our mind and how we can win the war that's going on in our minds. And I want you to remember, we've said this every week, that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Like, if you haven't taken anything away from this series, I hope that you'll walk away with this. Like, this is something you might want to write in the front of your Bible, that your, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, and then you might want to just put Philippians 4 underneath it. But, and it's really good news, right? Like, this is really good news if, if your thoughts are good and helpful and positive. But this is incredibly bad news if your thoughts are always negative and in the toilet. Like, 
if your thoughts, if your, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, then you want your thought life to be one that's positive, not negative. And we've been talking about both scripture and science, and we've been talking about how God is a God of science, and, and in our mind, uh, here's something that we know. Here's something that you may not know, but you'll know today, that there's this little almond-shaped portion called the amygdala. And, uh, and so there's what it is. That's what it looks like. It's just this little thing going on in your brain. Uh, it's the shape of an almond. And, uh, and the amygdala is the part of your brain that is wired for survival. Uh, if you ever find yourself in a moment where you feel like you either need to fight or flight, that's because your amygdala is actively engaged. That's the role of your amygdala. It controls your, your fight or flight mode. And anytime you're in danger, this God-given portion of the brain kicks in and it sends your body a strong, huge dose of adrenaline and it says, listen, you need to be on alert. And it might even say, you need to run right now. And so when you have that moment where you feel like, I need to run, that's the amygdala telling you what to do. And so like if you see a poisonous snake, if you see a huge poisonous snake, the amygdala says, snake, run for your life, right? Like in Florida, it would be an alligator. And so anytime we would see an alligator, uh, the amygdala would kick in and say, run for your life, except for if you're a tourist from Kentucky, you're like, let me get closer and get a picture of it, right? Like that's what y'all do. But Florida Indians were like, no, you run because that alligator's faster than you think it is. And if you're driving and a driver starts swerving into your lane, your amygdala kicks in and says, danger, danger. And then your car thing shows up and says, danger, danger too now. But, but your amygdala is the one that's telling you, watch out, danger. And so God gave us this portion of the brain for a reason. He gave it to protect us, right? But the problem is this. The problem is that the amygdala is not objective. It's not objective at all. It's simply hardwired in your brain to protect you. And so when a bear's coming at you, the amygdala says, listen, there's a bear and he's angry. You need to get, you need to run. And it's very easily triggered, the amygdala. It's so easily triggered. And so I'll give you an example about how the mind works. And let me just share with you a little bit how my amygdala works. As many of you know, uh, when I was a teenager, my dad was shot and killed. And, and uh, the circumstances surrounded it was that he was a new pastor in a community and he was going to visit a family from the church. And so he was going to their house. They gave him the address. He was going to their house. This was before GPS, right? So, so he's driving to their house, and he ended up going uh, down the wrong driveway. So this was a rural area, uh, and so they had long driveways that led to the house that was in the back of the property. And so uh, he ended up going down the wrong drive driveway. The owner of the property came out uh, and uh, shot and killed him. And later in the trial, the man said that my dad ignored the no trespassing sign, uh, that he came onto his property illegally, and he had every right to take his life. And to this day, and I'll share this with you, and just being completely transparent, to this day, if I go up to a strange house, especially one with a no trespassing sign on it, there's something in me that's triggered, and it causes me to pause, and it also causes my anxiety level to increase it quickly. I'll share, like a few years ago, my church decided that we were going to uh, get to, we were going to partner with our neighborhood. And uh, so the, the church was right smack dab in the middle of a neighborhood, and we decided we wanted to get to know our neighbors, and so we were going to go house to house. And as we went house to house, we were going to knock on people's doors, we were going to give them a little plant that we had, and we were going to ask them if there was anything we could pray for. And I realized on the first house that my anxiety level was through the roof and my heart was pounding and my heart was beating because 
I was being triggered from what happened to my dad many years ago. And that's why our uh, amygdala needs a little help. Like it's so objective and it needs a little help from another thing that God gave us called the uh, prefrontal cortex. And so that's that part of your brain right there. And uh, this is an important part of your brain too because this is the logical part of your brain. Where the amygdala has no, uh, is just strictly objective. It just tells you to either uh, be scared. It puts warning, it's like the warning light on your, uh, in, in your brain. Um, this part of your brain tends to think very logically. And so if there's a noise at night in the house, if you're at home in the house at night, you're sleeping, and there's a noise and the amygdala screams to you, intruder, intruder, alert, alert, you're going to die, right? Like that's what the amygdala does. And, and the, pro, the, the prefrontal cortex steps in though. And steps in and says, listen, it's probably the cat or it's probably the dog or maybe the screen door's beaten. You're not going to die. There's a very logical explanation for this. And so the amygdala tells you to run for your life, uh, get the gun, be, you know, someone's going to here to kill you. And the prefrontal uh, cortex is telling you, no, 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 there's probably a really reasonable explanation for the noise that you heard. And so the amygdala is all about panic and the prefrontal cortex is all about logic. And so the problem with the amygdala is it always responds according to the pre-programming that's already in your brain. In other words, if you had an experience like my experience, you will tend to believe that strange houses with long driveways and no trespassing signs are dangerous. And you're like, I'm not going there. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Like, I'm not going there. And, uh, and so that's what the amygdala does. And, and I don't know what it could be in your life. But because of some hurt or maybe some fear or some trauma or even perhaps maybe even a misunderstanding, my guess is that there are certain people or there are certain places or events or some type of news that triggers you with feelings of anxiety and fear and tension. And without even knowing it, without even recognizing it, your mind can race and run to a worst case scenario where you find yourself sometimes panicking and trying to control things that, can't, that you can't control and completely overwhelmed by a runaway mind. When I was standing at that first walkway to that first house that we went to when we were getting to know our neighbors at that church, I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, I couldn't walk. I couldn't take a step closer to that house because the anxiety had taken over my body. And then I realized... What was going on? My amygdala was running out of control. And finally, my prefrontal cortex said, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, you're just over, you're overthinking this. And that's why Paul, from a prison, a Roman prison, he said these words to us that we just read. He said, listen, don't be anxious about anything. And that's so important. That word anything is so important because anything, well, it could be anything. It could be that big test that you have to take. It could be that job interview that you have. It could be your health situation. It could be a decision about the future. It could be a financial burden. It could be anything. And Paul told us, he said, don't be anxious about anything. He said, but... In every single situation, no matter what it is, in every single situation, in other words, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Whatever it is that's got you stressed, whatever it is that has your anxiety level rising, if it's on your mind, 
It's on God's heart. He cares about what is affecting you. He cares about you more than you could imagine. And so Paul tells us, he's like, listen, don't be anxious, but in every situation, because God cares about you, he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your requests to God. You pray. And when you do that, the promise, like I said, the promise is the peace, the peace of God, which transcends. I love that word. It transcends. It passes all understanding. It's a peace that you can't explain. It's a peace that you're like, where did that come from? It's a peace that you can't write an explanation for. It says the peace that transcends all of your understanding will guard your hearts. And Paul doesn't stop there. He says it will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds. His peace, God's peace, our Heavenly Father's peace will guard your mind. And yet, how often do we as Christians, how often do we undervalue and discount the power of prayer? Like how often do we use prayer as a last resort? I mean, you see it all the time. People will be in a tight situation. They've tried everything that they could possibly do. And then someone will say in the crowd, well, you know what? All we can do, all we can do now is pray. Like, like Michael said, the God who, who, who split the Red Sea, the God who can move mountains, the God that can raise the dead, heal the sick, and open the blind eyes, and all you can do is pray? Like that's the last thing you can do is pray? No. Like that's not what Paul would tell us if he was standing here saying, listen, church, prayer is not a last resort. He'd say prayer is powerful, and as followers of Jesus, we must recognize that prayer is never our last line of defense. It's always, always our first line of offense. Amen. The author of Hebrews even said, he said, let us come boldly. He said, don't come haphazardly. Don't come like, uh, like, oh God, I don't know if you have time to listen to me. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace and offer up your petitions to the Lord. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, you don't have it. You know why you don't have what you want? Because you haven't prayed. Because prayer is always powerful. Can we just say that out loud together? Prayer is always powerful. It's never the last line of defense. It's always the first line of offense. And not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer believe it or not, also changes the chemistry in your brain. Just let that sink in for a minute. When we pray, it changes the chemistry that's going on in our brain, which is fascinating. It's fascinating to me because for decades, neurologists believed that your brain didn't change after adolescence. Now think about that for a minute. It said that when you were reached 15 years old, your brain stopped changing, it stopped growing, it stopped moving. And how many of you are glad that your brain didn't freeze when you were 15 years old, right? Like I am so glad that my brain, because I would be up here and I would be like some 15-year-old kid still with zits on my face and I'd be like thinking things that I shouldn't be thinking because I was 15. But our brain, they used to believe that. Our brain though continues to evolve and it continues to change and it continues to rewire itself. In fact, 
the, the, the scientific term for this is called neuroplasticity. And that simply means that your brain is constantly evolving and rewiring itself. And research even shows that prayer actually changes your brain. In fact, a, a, a doctor, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, uh, wrote this book called Switch on Your Brain. And in her book, she says, it's been found that 12 minutes, 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can actually be measured. Measured, measured. I always say measured, and I get, I get ridiculed for it. Measured for, uh, on a brain screen, scan. In other words, that if you will pray for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks in a row, science can actually show you that, you're, that it can be measured on a brain scan. Because why? Well, here's a really theological reason why. Because prayer is no joke, y'all. Like, that's as deep as it can get. Prayer is no joke. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, uh, but prayer changes your brain. And just as toxic and negative thoughts harm your brain... Prayer actually heals your brain. It literally renews your mind. And we've been talking about the value of renewing your mind, and that's what prayer does, because prayer is such an important part of the Christian life, because it literally renews your mind. So why do we worry? Like, why do we worry? Well, science tells us in many reasons, the reason that we worry is because we're experiencing an amygdala hijack, that our amygdala that's wired to protect is hijacking our brain and our thoughts. And it's saying you're in trouble. And it's saying you better take control. And it's saying you better work harder. It's saying you better stay up till two in the morning working on that report because your boss is gonna fire you if you don't have it. It's saying that uh, you, better, uh, you better worry about this all night long because if you don't, it's only gonna get worse. The amygdala hijacks our thought life. And science says that that we're just experiencing amygdala hijack. And scripture would say that our mind, uh, here's what scripture says. Science says it's amygdala hijack. Scripture says that our mind is being dominated by sinful thinking. That our mind is being dominated by this sinful thinking. In fact, what is worry? Well, worry is simply the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. That when you worry, you're just, you're not trusting God. You're not trusting his promises. You're not trusting that God is the God who can split a mountain in half. That that's why we worry. And worry is essentially saying, you know what, God? I don't trust you. I don't believe your goodness in this situation. I don't believe that you care about what I care about. I don't believe that you're gonna come through for me, so I'm gonna worry. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna worry about this because ultimately, God, I just don't trust you. And so instead of letting our sinful nature control our mind, which is what easily happens, what I wanna do as a follower of Jesus is I want to choose to let my spirit direct my thinking. Because when I said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit was activated in my life. And God is present in me and with me at all times. And so instead of allowing my sinful nature to control my thought life, I'm going to allow my spirit, God's spirit, to direct my thinking. Instead of letting my sinful uh, nature run my mind, I'm going to choose to let the Holy Spirit 
spirit direct my thinking. I'm going to let the logical part of my brain choose that which is spiritual. I'm going to say to the amygdala, you know what, thanks for the warning, but you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit run my thought life. I'm going to take my prefrontal cortex and say, you know what uh, I'm going to do? I'm going to think on what's true. I'm going to think on what's excellent. I'm going to think on what's praiseworthy. I'm putting my trust completely in you, God. That's what I'm going to do. In fact, here's how scripture says it in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. Paul, again, writing from prison, he says these words. He says, those who live according to the flesh, so those who are not living in Jesus, but living according to the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, those who are following Jesus, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So we know that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and so what we're saying is that those who live in accordance with God have their minds set on what God desires for their lives. You see, the mind, Paul says, is governed by the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Listen, Paul says when your mind is dominated, when your thought life is dominated by your sinfulness, here's what happens. Your mind tends to drift towards things that are dishonoring of God. You think about sinful things. That's what happens. He says, but those who allow the Holy Spirit to control the things that they think about, that please the Spirit, that pleases the Spirit. And so letting your sinful nature control your mind, Paul says, leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your thought life leads to life, and there's that word again, peace. And that's why we're going to take every thought captive. That's what we talked about, the importance of taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. From a scientific standpoint, we're going to let our prefrontal cortex grab the amygdala by the tail and say, quit being irrational. We're choosing to be spiritual. We're giving our thought life to God. You're choosing by faith to trust in God. Do you do that? Like, do you trust God or do you spend your life worrying? Do you believe in God? That's what we're doing. We're choosing by faith to trust God, to believe in God, and to give our burdens to God, our worries to God. Even when our irrational fears uh, start to run wild, you stop. You stop and you grab that thought and you take it captive and you make it obedient to Christ. When I was standing at that sidewalk and my anxiety level is going out the roof and my heart is beating, I had to stop and I had to say, you know what? God's got this. Like God is with me. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be anxious. And so I had to say, I'm not going to let my sinful, fearful, discouraging nature run my mind in the wrong direction. And I gave it over to God in that moment. I prayed and I walked up to the first house. And let me tell you, every house we went to, it got easier and easier and easier because I was choosing to intentionally allow the Holy Spirit, not my fears, to direct my thoughts. In fact, let me give you a visual example of what tends to happen. 
all of us at some point, and I want to grab this box here, um, all of us at some point in our lives, um, we, uh, uh, we have something that we're worried about. We've all experienced worries, and, and the good news is that we're not on our own and that we serve a good and faithful God. So what do you typically do if you're a follower of Jesus and if you're worried about something? Well, I hope that what you do uh, is you take your worry, your concern, or your burden, and you give it to God, right? Like you pray about it and you give it to God. You say, God, uh, here's my worry. Here's my anxiety. Here's what I'm anxious about. And I'm going to pray about this. And God, I'm giving this over to you. I'm giving my worry to you. And God, I trust you with my worry, like I'm trusting you with the very thing that is causing me so much anxiety right now, and you give it to God, and then you wait, right? Like you pray, you give it to God, and then you wait, and then you get freaked out because about five minutes into it, nothing's happened, and you're like, I gave it to you, God. Like I gave it to you five minutes ago. Like my timer has been going off. I gave it to you five minutes away, uh, ago, and nothing's happened, and so what do we do? We take it back. We take it back from God and we say, God, I don't really trust you with my worry. I don't trust you with it and, 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 and I don't think that you're listening and you're not answering my prayer. I mean, it's been like seven minutes now, nothing's happened. And so when we worry, that's essentially what we're doing is we're taking our worries back from God. We're saying, God, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about this, but because I don't see quick results and because I'm still worried, I'm essentially taking back the very thing that I gave to you. And why do we do this? Why do we take back what we give to God in prayer? We do it because, well, to be honest, your God is too small and your worries are too big. I mean, let's just be real. Your, your God is too small and your worries are too big. And so somebody needs a bigger God and a little smaller worry in their lives. We need a bigger God. We need a bigger picture of who God is. And we don't need to let our worries become these monsters in our lives. And so what I would encourage you to do to help you with this, if you struggle with taking your worries back, like you're like, Pastor Rick, I pray, but nothing ever happens. And you take your worry back. Let me just encourage you uh, to, to do is to get your own God box. So this is my God box. Now, your God box doesn't have to be as cool as my God box. My God box is pretty slick right there. And, uh, and it can be a shoe box. It can be any kind of box you can find. But what I want you to do is if any time you find your mind racing and you find yourself worried about something, I want you to write that worry down. I want you to write it down on a piece of paper, and I want you to take it to God in prayer. Like the next time you're worrying... I want you to take God, uh, Paul's words to heart. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, give up your, uh, your worries to God in prayer and petition. And so I want you to write that worry down. It might be that you're worried about your teenager. It might be that you're worried about your marriage or your future. It might be that you're worried about your health, or maybe you're worried about your job, or it might be anything that you have. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to cast your cares upon God because why? Because God cares about you. And so you give it to God and you trust him with it. You write it down on a piece of paper. And then what I want you to do is go on your life trusting about God. So you got this worry. You're worried about your teenager. You write it down. God, I'm worried so much about my teenager and I'm worried about what they're doing. You write it down. You open up your little God box. You put that thing in there, that bad boy right in there. You close the box and you walk away and you trust him with it. 
and you go on living your life trusting him with it. Then what I want you to do is anytime you want to choose to worry about it, right? Like if you find yourself worrying about it, I want you to go back to your God box and I want you to take whatever it is that you've already given to God, I want you to take it back. Just take it back and, 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 and take it out of your God box and to symbolically remind you that you're choosing in that moment not to put your trust in God. That it'll remind you, it'll be a physical reminder, oh, wait a minute, I'm not trusting God because here I am, I'm taking it back. I'm taking it out of God's hand. I'm not trusting God with my worries and I'm taking it back away from him. And if you ask me, um, what is it that worries me? Like if that's what, let me just share with you. Like I'll be honest, it's a little embarrassing, um, but let me share some of the burdens of my heart with you. Some of the things that I worry about that I've put in my God box, but I've taken back. Because maybe I haven't fully trusted God with it. And, and, it, and it's a little embarrassing, uh, but here's one of them. I love my wife. I love my wife, Jen. Uh, I love her with all my heart, and, and she's often running late, right? Like, I mean, respectfully, that's what happens. She just often runs late. But sometimes my mind starts to wonder when she doesn't show up. And my mind starts to wonder, and I worry. And I'm like, is she okay? Uh, did something happen to her? Did she drive off the side of the road? Did a rock slide come and crush her car? Like, I worry about things like that. I worry about my family in Florida. Uh, I, I, they live so far away, and I don't get to see them as often as I'd like to. And, and I worry. I worry about my parents' health and, and not being able to be there for them and not being able to help them. And my dad, my stepdad's taking dialysis three times a week and my mom's driving him back and forth and, and I worry about those things. And another thing that weighs on me uh, uh, heavy is the spiritual responsibility of leading a church. And, and it's so easy in our culture to accidentally or even unintentionally say something or do something that can create all sorts of drama and controversy. And, and I don't want to let God down. I don't want to let God's church down. And I don't ever want to hurt the name of Jesus. And that's heavy on my heart. And I worry about that. These are my worries. These are the things that keep me up at night. And what do I need to do about it? Like, what do I do about my worries? Well, instead of just giving my worries to God, what I want to do even more is I want to give my life to God so that I'm hidden with God in Jesus. Like, it's not just giving my worries to him. It's giving my entire being to God and trusting and hiding under his shadow, in his shadow, much like I did as a kid when I was with my dad and we were somewhere and something was scaring me, what I would do is I would draw close to him, right? Like your kids have probably done that. You grab your leg of your dad or maybe you grab their hand or maybe you stand behind them. If there's a stranger danger right in front of you, I would often stand behind my dad and grab a hold of his leg. And that's the image that when we give our lives, when we surrender our lives fully to Christ, that we hide in his presence, and we're hidden with God and Jesus. And some of you are gonna say, well, Rick, that's, like that's a little irresponsible. Like, you're just living in denial. You're just ignoring your worries. You're just pretending they don't exist. And, and you might be thinking, you probably should be a little more responsible than that. And, and so uh, before we go there, though, let me give you a couple thoughts. Let me give you three thoughts as we wrap up. And the first thought is this, that I wanna do what I can do. I wanna do what I can do. 
And, and so uh, I'm going to do the things that I need to do. In other words, if you've got an exam, com- exam coming up, you're not just trusting God in your exam. You're not just saying, hey, God, I'm really worried about this exam. So, you know, you come through, you pull through, I need an A. Uh, to pass this class, uh, what you do is you study, right? Like you study the best that you can, uh, and, and then you pray and give God your anxiety. That doesn't mean that you stop studying. That means that you give God your 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 anxiety. Or if you want to get in better shape, you're not just praying about your health. You're going to start eating right. You're going to start working out. You're going to start exercising. Like you just don't say, God, you know what? I need to lose like 50 pounds, so I'm giving that to you because I'm really stressed about it. Like I'm anxious about it. My clothes are getting a little tight. I got to buy a new belt. I'm really anxious about this. So God, if you can just do your stuff, like here I am, just do your stuff. I need to lose 50 pounds. No, you got to eat. You got to do the things that you need to do. Uh, and, and so you do what only you can do. But the second thing that we need to understand is this, that we're going to give God what we can't do. We're going to give God what we can't do. If I can't do something, I'm going to trust God. Like if I struggle with, uh, I don't want to exercise or I don't want to eat right, then you got to give those things to God. Like, and you do your part and let God do what only God to do. I'm giving God what I can't do. So I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to give God what I can't do. And then finally, I'm going to trust God no matter what. And this is the hard one. Like this is the one that we, we fail every time in. I'm going to trust God no matter what. And Why? because of who God is. God is the creator of the universe. He breathed the galaxies into existence. He created us out of dirt and, and, and he made us and he's with us and he cares about us. He says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we trust him. We trust him because of who he is, because of his character and because of his nature. And so we say, God, I'm gonna do my part. I'm gonna do what I can do. I'm going to trust you with what I can't do. And then I'm gonna cast my cares upon you and I'm gonna give you what I can't do. And no matter what, and this has got to be our attitude, and no matter what, because of your goodness, your promises, and your faithfulness, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I need a job. I'm trusting you, God, no matter what. I need, uh, my marriage needs healing. I'm going to trust you, God, no matter what. My child needs to come back to you. I'm going to trust you no matter what. I mean, imagine this, church. I want you to imagine with me. Imagine a life filled with unending peace and joy because that's the promise that Paul reminds us of that if we will give our worries to the Lord if we will pray and give him our worries there's this promise of unfilled un- or of filled and unending peace and joy i mean imagine that imagine having peace of mind because you're trusting in God listen if it's possible and it's also a choice it's a choice to live a life Uh, dominated by sinful nature, or it's a choice to live a life by the Spirit. That's our choice. You get to choose. God doesn't force us. We get to choose. Am I going to live a life of anxiety and worry, or am I going to live a life filled with the Spirit? So let's just review real quick as we wrap up our past four weeks. Uh, We've said this. We said, if your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, we ask the question, do you like the direction your life is going in? Do you like the direction your life is taking you? If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. We said that. And so we identify the strongholds. We talked about this in week one. We identify the strongholds. We identify whatever the lie is that we've been believing and the dominant lie where our spiritual enemy is taking us out in our thought life and we replace it with the truth of God. Next, we said that we replace that lie with the truth, not just a practical truth, but we said it has to be a spiritual truth from God. And then what do we do with that truth? 
We talked about in, in week two, we talked about writing a declaration of war, right? Like we write it down. We write down, uh, here's the thing that I struggle with, but here's the spiritual truth that's going to kill or destroy that stronghold in my life. And we said that we write it and then we think it and then we confess it until we believe it. And that's a huge and then we remember, we said this, we said that you are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts because we said the weapons that we use to fight against the thing that's going on in our brain, they're not weapons from this world, that your spiritual weapons, we talked about how our spiritual weapons, mainly the word of God and prayer, we use these weapons to demolish the strongholds in our life. And so if you are not, a, and when we do that, we're not a slave to our habits, you're not a prisoner to your addiction. You're not an overcomer. You are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and by the words of your testimony. So we said this. We said, listen, it's so important to renew our minds. We also know that you can't control what happens to you. We talked about this last week. You can't control what happens to you, but you can always control how you frame it. You can, uh, you can look at life from a negative perspective and say, this is bad, this is hard, this stinks, or you can look at it from a different perspective and say, you know what, even though this is challenging, God, you are good and you are faithful and you know what's best for me better than I do. You see, we're not interpreting God through our circumstances, but rather we are interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. And then as followers of Jesus, we cover everything we do in prayer, everything we do in prayer, and we're not gonna be anxious about anything. We're not going to spend our lives worrying, but in everything with prayer and with petition, we're going to take our requests to God and God promises that the peace, the peace that passes all understanding will be with us. Not the peace of this world, but the peace of God. So as Michael and Angelina come up, I just want you to know this, that as followers of Jesus, we're going to let God empower us to win the war that is raging in our thought life. And here's what Jesus promised, and I don't want you to ever forget this. Jesus said these words. He said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And we've learned so much good truth in these past four weeks. And you don't have to be a slave to your thought life, but you can be free. You see, we're stepping out of the lies. We're stepping out of the lies of our spiritual enemy, and we're stepping into the truth of God. And it's the truth of God and a renewed mind that will set you free. So let's just pray. Father God, we ask that you would do this in our lives today. God, would you set our minds free? because many of us are living lives with a thought life that is consumed with anxiety, that is consumed with worry, that is consumed with negative thoughts and negative opinions, that are consumed with sinful thought life. And Father, it doesn't have to be that way. Father, we can win the war that is going on in our mind if we will win the war that's going on in our mind, we will begin to live a life that is filled with joy and peace. So, Father, I pray. I pray that this morning, 
that we would get in the habit, if we're not already in the habit of doing so, that when worry begins to creep up, when anxiety begins to take over, when the amygdala begins to hijack our brains, that we would do what Paul says, that we wouldn't be anxious, Lord, but that in every situation, every situation, big or small, that we would give those things to you in prayer. And we would trust you, Lord. And we would trust that because of who you are, that you are going to take care of the things that keep us up at night. That you're going to answer our prayers. And Father, your word promises that if we will live that way, that we will experience a peace peace that we don't understand, a peace that we can't comprehend, a peace that we can't explain, a peace in our hearts, and a peace in our mind. Oh God, I don't want to live a life of worry, but I want to trust you. I want to trust you with every thought that comes through my mind. Lord, would you help us empower us, equip us, embolden us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. Because the direction of our life is largely a result of the things that we think about. So Lord, I pray for healing, healing in our minds. I pray for wisdom to deal with our thought life. Father, I pray that we would have the boldness and the courage to actively take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. Because Lord, I don't know about the rest of the people, but I want to live a life of peace and joy. I don't want to live a life filled with anxiety and worry. And Lord, if there's someone in this room today who's never given their life to you, Father, I pray that today would be the day they would say yes to you, that today would be the day that they would give their life to you, surrendering their life to you, just saying, Father, I recognize that I am lost without you. I'm a sinner without you. And Father, today, I don't want to live that way anymore. So I surrender my life. I give my life to you. And I allow you to come and to take up residence in my life begin to mold me and shape me into the person that you've always created me to be. If that's you today, just surrender. That's all you have to do is just say, Jesus, come. Come into my life. Change my life forever. Make me new. You don't have to understand it all. You just start by saying yes to Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would faithfully live a life of prayer, giving up our worries, our anxieties, our worries, our concerns to you. And that prayer may not be our last line of defense, but it may always be our first line of offense. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, today as we wrap up, I want to invite you to stand with us and we're going to sing our closing song. And as we do, you're always invited to come and spend time in prayer. 
uh, up here at, in our altar area. You just come and pray, whatever you want to pray about it. Maybe you want to celebrate the things that God is doing good in your life. Maybe you want to ask God for courage to uh, win the battle in your thought life. Whatever it is, you just come and spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right there on the front row, and I'd be honored uh, to spend time in prayer with you. Let's stand together and let's sing.